Hey, do any of you remember that old Disney film, Aladdin? I love that one. Probably because I've always kind of thought of myself as a little bit of a street rat that was running after a princess. I don't know, I've got a, I've got a big imagination. But what, what was interesting about that movie for me is how they, well, Robert Williams was genius, first of all, but when he comes out of that lamp and offers three wishes to Aladdin and then sets the rules. Do you remember the rules? Any of the rules? Because some of you, I'm going to ask you in a minute what you'd wish for. First thing is you'd wish for more wishes. You can't do that. And you can't wish to fall in love. You can't make anyone fall in love. And you can't make anybody die or come back to life. So those are the rules. Okay, given those rules, what would you wish for? Uh, Genie pops out of a lamp. You get three wishes. I've thought about that a lot, like more than I'm comfortable admitting. What would I wish for? Oddly, after thinking about it, I would wish for the same things that Aladdin wished for. Now, don't judge me, but wealth. Why not? With wealth, you can buy security. Okay, that's what Aladdin did. And, and second, I would, I would really wish for wisdom. Because if you have wisdom, then you don't make all the mistakes that I tend to make. Another thing I would ask for, wish for, is honor. Some people would ask for popularity, some for power, but I would ask for honor because as you, as you are exalted, that gives you a sense of significance. Now, here's what I've realized. All of us need those things. We need the peace that comes with wisdom by making good decisions. The, the Jews call that shalom. We need security that sometimes wealth can provide through health insurance or a, a, a home with locks on it and a car that's reliable. And if we have honor, then we'd have significance. And all of us need that. So security, significance, shalom, there's nothing wrong with wanting that. Now, why am, I, why am I bringing this up? Because we're in this series on Colossians. And when I came to Colossians at the end of chapter one, I read a verse that, no kidding, it is, it is like pound for pound the three wishes of Aladdin. Only it's not physical, it's spiritual. But this is what God is offering you. You interested? Well, you can find it yourself in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. It says, to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. So there it is, glorious riches. Now it's spiritual riches, not physical riches, but God is offering the riches you need spiritually to be spiritually secure. And it says, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. There it is, the honor. As you raise up Jesus, he actually exalts you too. And you can find significance in life beyond simply success in life. In verse 28, he is the one who we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. There it is. If you have wisdom, you don't make as many foolish decisions so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Fully mature in Christ. Wow, that's a, lot to, that's a lot to hope for. But that's what God wants for you. It's what I want for me. It's actually what I want for you too. So instead of just reading the what of the wishes, I want to read those verses again, only highlight for you the how of the wishes. Here it is. Christ in you and you in Christ. If you put yourself into Jesus, he will put himself 
into you. And that's how you are going to attain full maturity. And with maturity comes this significance, this security, this shalom. And it's available to everyone. That actually is the mystery. Did you notice that word mystery? Okay, don't think Sherlock Holmes. The mystery that Colossians talks about it four different times, Ephesians four different times, so it's like throughout the Bible, mystery of Jesus. It's not Sherlock Holmes that it's hard to figure out. Rather, it's like the price is right. The curtain just hasn't opened yet. And it, as soon as you choose curtain number two, hey, Johnny, show him what you won, and you open curtain 20, number two, it's not a mystery anymore what's behind curtain number two. For all the ages of the Old Testament, there was a mystery of what God was up to. And then when Christ came, the curtain was opened. And here's what he's up to. Making these promises available to all people. That was shocking. And Paul calls them the Gentiles. So the mystery is Christ among the Gentiles. So what's a Gentile? Well, it's anybody who's not a Jew. So the Jews thought the world had two groups of people in it. Jews and everybody else. And the Romans, the same. The Romans thought there were two groups of people. The Romans and, like, all the foreigners. And the Greeks thought there were two groups of people. The Greeks and barbarians. And into a world that was so segregated, so divided, so tribal, Christ comes in and breaks down all of the barriers so that rich and poor and slave and free and male and female all have equal access to God in Jesus Christ. That's the beauty of this mystery. And once you see the curtain open and you put yourself in Christ and Christ puts himself into you, you are on a journey to full maturity. Now, obviously, none of us are there. I'm not there, you're not there, but we're on a journey. And as I think about you sitting in the seat right now, whether you're at home or on campus, some of you look around and you go, I don't, I don't belong here. Because there, there are people who, like, I can't pray like him, and I don't know the Bible like her, and I'm not as spiritual as they are, and our family's a mess, and theirs looks like a Hallmark card. God doesn't evaluate you based upon where you are as much as the direction you're headed. And when you put more of yourself into Christ, and he puts more of himself into you, then you are headed to full maturity. We care so deeply about that, that in this church, we create systems for you to take next steps into Jesus. In fact, you'll notice if you're using the app, you log into the app, there's a badge bar there that will show you what next steps you have taken or what next steps are next steps for you, whether it's whether it's giving generously or attending church or whether it's serving or joining a group, everybody has a next step. Now, now look, we, we don't have enough badges for all the potential next steps there are. This is a lifelong journey of following Jesus. But we've wanted to make it clear that there are some pivotal habits of Christians that will take them in to a journey lifelong towards Jesus Christ. So those are the next steps that we are leading Two. And Paul had a passion that the Colossians took their next steps. And if I were just be honest with you for a minute, I, I have a passion for you to take your next steps. Because I, 
I've got some friends. In fact, I talked to two of my friends today. They're Christians. They're saved. But they don't have shalom. And they don't have significance. And they don't have security in Christ because they're not tapping into the next steps. I don't know if they're lazy or distracted or what it is, but they're struggling in life because they're not putting themselves in Jesus and they're not filled with him. And I just, I hurt for families where Christ isn't at the dinner table. I hurt for these businesses that are struggling along because you're doing things your way and not God's way. And I know that there's relationships and the list could be long of the triage that you have to go through when Christ isn't at the center. I'm just begging you, take your next steps. And the passion that I feel for you, I, I hear Paul echoing this. In fact, three different times he expresses his desire for the Colossians. Now look at verse 24. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, when I first read that, I thought, well, that's heresy. Saying there's something lacking in Christ's sufferings? No, Christ died on the cross, and you are totally saved. Like, you can't add anything to that, right? We talked about that last week. But Paul is speaking about something different. You can be fully saved, but not fully mature. And in the gap between fully saved and fully mature... There's just a lot of bad business that goes on and Jesus just weeps for you and Paul wept for the Colossians and I weep for you because you don't have to live in that space where you can put Christ in that space. He will give you wisdom and he will give you riches and he will give you honor if you just let him have his way. And so that's Paul's heart for you. We see it again. I love the way he puts it in verse uh, 29. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. This is interesting. The word contend comes straight out of the gladiatorial games. So you strap on a sword and you put on a shield and they let loose in the arena all these wild animals, lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. And you're fighting to the death with these wild beasts. We did that this week. We called it kids camp. (laughs) We bust kids from all over the valley to our Peoria campus and it was amazing. I wish you could have been there. There was slides and water events and there was carnival rides and there was worship and there were small groups and there were life decisions being made. We had, get this, 2,876 kids at camp. It's amazing. But what I'm more impressed with is not the number of kids, but the number of those who are coaching the kids. There were 733 individuals that came, adults who would give up vacation to work on security and medical teams, coaches for the kids and their discussion groups, those doing events and serving food, it, the amount of people who sacrificed, and that's a, a fraction of those were our own staff. Most of them were people like you who gave up vacation time and gave up your own energy to be here. And I just, you get it, don't you? When you serve the body of Christ, you get it that what you sacrifice for others comes back to you. 
So I don't, I don't want to ask you to feel sorry for me in this, but listen, I will sacrifice financial freedom to serve this church. I will sacrifice my own time, sleepless nights and long days because I want so badly for you to grow in Jesus. Not just for you and not just for your family. Imagine if our church really took steps forward to full maturity in Christ, what impact we could have on this valley, on this city where we live and love. And you might be thinking, yeah, but you, there's no way that you or Ashley can feel that passion about us. You've never even met me. You don't know my family. Well, that's true. But Paul didn't know the Colossians either. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea, the sister city of Colossae, and for all who have not met me personally. I don't have to meet you personally to love you deeply. There's something... And this is part of the mystery. In the body of Christ, you learn to love with God's love. And because you're God's child, I love you. And I want, I want so much for you to have this fullness in Christ that whatever the sacrifice, I will sacrifice myself so that Christ's sacrifice can reach full maturity for you. Now, the problem is that in between you and full maturity... There is a barrier, and we don't talk about this a lot around here, and there's a reason why, but the barrier is false teachers, and the reason we don't talk about it a lot is we don't, we don't want to give the impression that we're judgmental, and we don't want to be critical of any other church. Look, most of the churches in our valley are great churches with great ministries, and we, we see them as partners with us to fulfill the commission of Jesus Christ, to make Jesus famous, to reach this valley for Jesus Christ. So we, we love other churches. In fact, if you look at the New Testament, most of the false teachers did not come from outside the church. They actually came from inside the church. They could be among the leadership. They could be a, a, a group leader. They could be someone that you volunteer with. Not once, twice, Paul warns in this chapter about false teachers. Chapter 2, verse 4. Chapter 2, verse 8. Verse 4 says, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Verse 8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So I want to be clear with what a false teacher looks like so that you don't get seduced away by someone who might be very near you right now. I don't want to be critical or judgmental, but... Most of us know someone who used to be in Christ, but they started following someone else, and now they're nowhere to be found. And many of them are not even in any church around. So here are three red flags. Now, if someone has one red flag, they might just be a failed human. Imagine that. If they have two red flags, you ought to back away. If they have all three red flags, just run. Here's the first red flag. They promote themselves. And it starts with a statement something like this. You know, Ashley's he's okay. But he's not teaching you fully what you could learn. So if you follow me, 
Or maybe it's in a group, and after the group is over, uh, there's just a few people that you kind of, hey, come over here. And they start building a, a, a circle of disciples around them. That should, be a, that should be a red flag for you. Because around here, we don't self-promote. We don't exalt anyone's name. It's not about Ashley. It's not about Mark. It's not about, it's not about your campus pastor. It is about Christ, Christ, and Christ alone. And anyone who starts building a group around them, that's a red flag. You should, you should watch out for that. And the second red flag is that they claim to have deeper knowledge. And it sounds something like this. You know, CCB doesn't really fully teach the Bible. You know, you need to go deeper, and I can take you deeper. Okay, folks, you're not going to find anybody that loves deeper Bible study more than me. You're just not. I, like, I, I admit it, I am a Bible nerd. This is me. I, I love the languages, I love the history, I love the background. But here's what I know. That the deeper you go in the technical details of the Bible the more likely you are to fall into the trap of hypocrisy, of legalism, and of arrogance. That's just the danger of diving deep into studies. Listen, you really want to go deep in spirituality? Here's how. Here's how. This is pretty simple. Take what you learn on the weekend and put it into practice. Because there is a grand canyon of difference between knowing the Bible deeper and living the Bible better. And if you have already put into practice all that you now know about the Bible, then come talk to me about going deeper. But until that time, just know deeper doesn't mean you know more stuff. Because a lot of the stuff that people try to get, get you kind of reeled into doesn't make a hill of beans worth of difference. And it's going to come across in one of three ways. Rationalism, legalism, or mysticism. Now, let me unpack each of those. Rationalism is when someone says, here's some things you need to know, and if you know more, you'll be a better Christian. Not true. And it's topics like, if you, like, if you come to my Bible study, I'm going to unlock the secrets of the Da Vinci Code. You come to my Bible study, and you will know the meaning of revelation. Good luck. If you, if you study with me, you'll be able to interpret all of the Bible and the Old Testament prophecies. Look, deeper knowledge is a seductive trap. When they say to you, think this, they're tapping into your pride that you might know something that someone else doesn't know. That's dangerous. The second danger is legalism. Not think this, but do this. And they're tapping into your sense of guilt. Well, you, you haven't given enough. You haven't prayed enough. You haven't fasted enough. And both on the, on the left and on the right, there are people that are virtue posturing to tap into your guilt to get you to not eat certain things or not say certain things or not watch certain movies, don't drink certain things. You will exhaust yourself trying to fulfill someone else's expectation to gain their approval when God has already approved you in Christ. The third ism is mysticism. And they tap into your selfishness by saying, you need to feel this. Like, what, you haven't felt this? You haven't heard God speak to you? 
You haven't had a dream? You never spoke in tongues? You don't prophesy? You can't walk on water? Just follow me and I'll show you how. Two red flags is that they promote themselves and they claim to have a deeper knowledge. Red flag number three, they have secret lives. They don't only know things that others don't know, they do things that others don't know. Most of the false teachers that have been outed publicly have, fall, have fallen into one of two traps, either financial mismanagement because no one held them accountable for finances and sexual immorality because no one held them accountable for their time and their private lives. And if you have someone that's seducing you away and they have closed closets, man, you ought to just run. That's why we have very clear guidelines for all of our staff. It doesn't mean that no one will ever fall morally, but we just know that where there are secrets, people are in danger spiritually. So we have these guidelines about who you work with and and how you ride in a car with someone of the opposite sex and about financial accountability when you use the church's money because we don't want any of our staff to fall into this trap. And some will, it's inevitable, we're human, but we want to minimize that by creating some guidelines and, and barriers. And I would encourage you as well to have some guidelines and barriers. In fact, right between those two verses we just read where Paul talked about false teachers, verse four and verse eight, Paul gives you three guidelines that every, every one of you should have firmly in place. Here's what it says in verse six. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Three things that Paul highlights. The first is you need to be rooted in him. That's the talk for conversion. And the way Paul phrases it, it's a one-time event. Like you plant roots once, and you get converted once. You get reborn once. You give your life to Jesus once. That's all synonyms for the same thing. You, you put your faith in Jesus. And then you express that publicly in baptism. And when you are, are buried in the water, you are imitating the death of Jesus. And when you come up out of the water, you're imitating the resurrection of Jesus. That's a one-time event. You don't need to do it over and over and over again. Here's what you need to do over and over and over again. You need to be built up. And what we're talking about here is taking your next steps. Again, these aren't the, like if you open your app, those aren't the only next steps you could take, but they are pivotal core next steps. And I promise you, if you take those, the Holy Spirit will do the rest in you taking your next steps on a lifelong journey of knowing Christ. But there is one pivotal habit that underlines every next step, and it is Bible reading. I didn't say going to a Bible study. I didn't say reading someone's commentary, but simply reading the Bible. And for some of you, this is a, is a new habit. I want to give you a simple, like, you don't have to do it exactly like this, but this is simple, simple, practical advice. Four days a week or more. Four days a week. Why? Well, sociologists have studied those who read the Bible four days a week on their own, and they found that those are the people that make great strides towards full maturity in Christ. So there's, there's, a, there's a reason for it, four days a week or more. 
And you don't need to read like for an hour. In fact, here's what I would suggest. Take 15 minutes, four days a week. For five minutes, just read one chapter. If you've never done this, start with James or start with the book of John and just read one chapter. And then find one verse in that one chapter that you are going to practice for one hour. <laughs> like don't, you overachievers, just, just for one hour, try to live it out perfectly. And then pray for five minutes. So for five minutes you read, for five minutes you find your verse, for five minutes you pray. You did that four days a week or more and you will find you are making great strides towards Christ. That's the way to safeguard your life from false teachers. This is the last one is gratitude. And Paul says to be grateful. Why? Because gratitude is an antidote for false teachers. False teachers get you wrapped up in what you're disappointed with. In fact, the word Eucharist, some of you know that's a, is a, is a, one of the words for communion or the Lord's Supper. That's the Greek word that simply means to be thankful. So when we take the Lord's Supper each week, it's just a time of, of saying, thank you, Jesus, for all that you've offered me. But false teachers will get you to think about not the sacrifice of Christ, not the word of God, not the fellowship of the spirit, not the beauty of the church, not the leaders that we have in the church. They'll, they'll get you to think about, you remember that one time that he said? You remember that one time that she forgot? Look, I just, I want to promise you, like this is my pledge to you. If you listen to enough of my sermons, I promise you, I promise you, I will offend you. I will say something stupid at some time. You leave that. I'm out of here. And a false teacher will latch onto that and they just start to seduce you away. But if you are rooted, built up and grateful, you are impenetrable to false teaching. And I want to show you, like, I'm going to read a verse in fact, I want you to read with me. I, I'm going I'm to read most of it. All I want you to do is read the underlined words, okay? So for you watching online, I want you out loud, out loud, read the underlined words. And everybody on your campus, like, let's just, let's really, let's really read this together. Here we go. Verse 9. For, that was pretty good. I want to do that again. Ready? For, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And, you have been uh, brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Amen. You were also circumcised with the circumcision, not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised, having been buried in baptism, in which you were also raised through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Did you hear it when it came out of your mouth? It is in Christ. It is for Christ. It is by Christ. And the more you put yourself in Christ, the more Christ will put himself in you. And you'll be on a trajectory to deeper maturity with the wisdom of God and the glory of God and the wealth of God. You know, when I, when I first started getting serious about my faith, I was probably about 14 years old. And back then, we didn't have like really cool music in churches. It, to be honest, it was, pretty, it was pretty bad. We had a piano and an organ. Did anybody remember that? Then you might, you might remember the songbook. We didn't call it a songbook. What was it? It was a hymnal. I have no idea why we called it that. I don't know the difference between a hymn and a song. But there was one hymn. I'm going to date myself now. 
it moves me even to this day. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. That is, that's a heartbeat around here. Because when Christ is center, your essentials become peripheral. And so I'm going to ask you, here's my challenge for the day. I want everyone to go to starting point. This past year, our senior pastor, Ashley Woldridge, updated starting point. It's, it's, it's a new version of it, and it's only an hour. It is a great experience that will tell you why we do what we do, who we are, a simple presentation of the gospel. If you've been around here for 20 years, you've been to starting point a long time ago, listen, we're wanting everyone to go to starting point again. It's an hour investment. And it's this weekend on every campus. As soon as you hear amen, look at the screens. It will tell you how to get to your starting point at a convenient time for your family. But again, we want everyone to go. And some of you go, well, I've already been to starting point. Good. Take someone who hasn't. I want everyone to go to starting point. That is the challenge and the invitation of today. And here's why. When you put Christ at the center you can begin receiving the riches and the glory and the honor that he has for you. I want to read one last verse and make one final point. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. When a man was convicted and sent to crucifixion, they put his crime on a, what they called a titulus. It was a placard, and they nailed it to the cross. And when you put yourself in Christ and he puts himself in you, then the placard that should go over your cross, he nails to his cross.
Jesus had a placard on his cross. In three languages, it said, King of the Jews. And when you make him the king of your life, all the rest of it goes away. Holy Father, in your goodness, we are saved. In your wisdom, we have shalom. In your glory, we have significance. And in your riches, we have security. And for that, we're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.